If you have your bulletins, uh, our passage uh, that we'll consider this morning is uh, printed there for you. 1 John uh, chapter 2, verses 3 through uh, 6. We've uh, said over the past couple weeks um, that John is writing to his uh, friends to assure them in their relationship with Jesus so that they could have confidence, so that they could uh, be built up uh, in their relationship with Christ. And so John is encouraging, he's encouraged his friends thus far that they can be sure of their relationship with God uh, through what they believe about Jesus um, and also what he's done. And this week, uh, they can also be assured in their uh, relationship with God uh, by what they do, by what we do. And so here it is, um, maybe, maybe as plainly as I can say it, John says the next component of assurance in your relationship with Jesus is what response does God's grace evoke in your life? What response does God's grace evoke in your life? Do you long to follow Him according to His Word? Is there that longing in you? See, evidence of and longing for obedience is reassuring. That's the word this morning. You'll see it in uh, this passage that we read together. If you're able, um, you can stand with me as we read God's word together. We'll begin at the beginning of chapter 2, verse 1, and read through verse 6. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked." Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, would you speak this morning through your word and through me? Would you help me to be able to stand out of the way so that you can encourage and strengthen and build up and um, teach and correct and train uh, your people. Lord, we, we desperately need that. Would you be so kind through your Holy Spirit, um, even through this table, Lord, would you be so kind as to enable us to see Jesus so clearly 
um, that our lives and our hearts and our minds are transformed, even our emotions, uh, Lord, for uh, Your glory and uh, for our good. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's start with this question, if we can, this morning. What, what is it that you long for? What do you, what do you long for? Uh, for the children in the room, uh, it, it, it may be, um, I don't, I'm trying to, I don't see to me, uh, there's a few young children. It, it may mean that you long for that toy, you know? You think if you had that toy, it would just make things so much better. Your life would, as far as you know, your life would be complete. Adults or even teenagers, what is it that you long for? Uh, you long for the, the new iPhone or the new AirPods or the new, I don't know, you know, whatever's next, whatever's coming next. Adults, maybe you long for that next uh, vacation um, or you long to go back to the spot that you just love or maybe you just long for a season of peace. Uh, maybe you long for a different mindset. Um, I don't know. What, what is it that... Uh, you long for I <laughs> I'll try to keep it brief it's it's certainly not a brief story uh, when I was in college I had the privilege of serving um, in the jungle of Peru um, with mission to the world for a summer the missionaries that I uh, were with uh, there they were in, uh, MTW missionaries uh, he was a pilot and so he owned a, a small plane, and it was in Peru. And so what we did, we li- he lived in a, a small city, kind of, on the, it was in the jungle. I mean, you know, dirt roads. You can imagine like the old western cities without uh, the, the buildings. Um, it was a fascinating place, and it had a fairly nice airstrip. And so what we would do is we would fly these little trips out into these jungle villages where there weren't nice airstrips, um, and we would carry goods, or we would go for visits, or we would go and spend a couple of days and uh, share the gospel with some remote villages, thatch roof huts, uh, all those... All the things that you can imagine, that's what it was in the, literally the middle of nowhere. You've probably, maybe you've experienced this before if you've been outside of Brookhaven, like the real country. You look up at night and you see heaven. There's a million stars. No lights whatsoever. Beautiful. And so one... Um, one one of the weekends, we decided we were going to go to this village, and we were going to have this little conference for this church that was established there. Um, obviously, nothing like this, no air conditioning, no stained glass windows, just cane and dirt. Um, and so, we fly into this village, this remote airstrip, and we have to get on what they considered a boat, I wouldn't consider it a boat, and we get in a boat and go up the river to this village, and we're there. When I stepped foot out of the boat into the village, it started to rain, and the Lord allowed it to rain for two days straight. 
Well, we were about to do this little gospel conference for these uh, native Peruvians, all the excitement. I didn't think about the rain until we got back in the boat to go back down the river, and then it hit me. We're not getting out of here anytime soon. So we got back to the village where the airstrip was, and I got out of the boat and immediately walked to the airstrip, and it was a huge mud puddle. And I thought, oh, oh man, we're here. Like, we are here. We brought enough food for two days. That's gone. Um, I don't know what you smell like when you don't bathe for two days. I can tell you what I smell like when I don't bathe for two days. It wasn't pretty. And all of a sudden you realize, man, this is going to be interesting. And so started to engage with some of the Peruvian men and women there. I said, man, hey, I asked through my translator, hey, would it, could I just like go get in the river and you know, and in the native jungle language, it was, you can go stand on the bank of the river and you can splash. Because if you get in that river, you might not come back out. So, you know, reality begins to set in. We sat down to eat that night. Uh, I had, they had given me one of their huts, you know, which is like a cane bed. And we sat down to eat that night, and it looked like this most delicious bowl of soup ever. I thought, oh, baby, this is going to be good. Until you get to the bottom of the bowl, and there's a fish head staring back at you. It's like, that changes the game. It may have tasted good before you saw the fish head, but when you see the fish head, it's like, oh. And all of a sudden, I began to realize the next day I got up, and there was a definitive trail up and down that, that airstrip where I was praying to Jesus, please send the plane. Longing, longing for Jesus. Please send the plane. We were out there for two, three more days. I lost count. Longing. If I can just get back to what seemed like the modern conveniences of the outskirts of the jungle. That's one of the times in my life where I've longed the most to hear a plane engine, so to speak. What is it that you long for? Maybe even a bigger question is, do you long for Christ in your life like you long for other things? Maybe even a better question is, what does that look like? What does it look like to long for Christ? I think that's what John's telling his readers this morning. What does it look like to long for Christ? And we'll look at that in three ways. Um, longing for Jesus looks like longing for obedience. Look with me at verses uh, 3 and 4. John says, by this we know. We're going to see that phrase throughout the rest of his letter. Uh, it's going to clue us into, hey, this is important for assurance. And so John says, by this we know you can be assured uh, in your relationship with Jesus if you're longing 
uh, for obedience to Christ's commands. Now, in order to understand uh, what John means, we first need to understand what he doesn't mean. Um, Assurance will not come through perfect obedience. John is not saying that you can be sure you're a Christian if there is no sin in your life. Well, how do we know that? How do we know that's not what he's saying? Well, if you look back at the first chapter, chapter 1, verse 8, John specifically says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Okay? So there's a re- he, John is not saying you will be assured if you can perfectly obey. He also is not saying that assurance is based on your level of obedience to God. He's not saying that if we keep the commandments, then God will gladly be in relationship with us on the basis of our worthiness. If you remember back to chapter uh, 1 and 2, John clearly established that the only means of relationship between God and us is through uh, the advocate, uh, through uh, the, uh, the wrath-taking sacrifice of King Jesus. Let me see if I can maybe say it this way through the words of the great theologian and reformer John Calvin. He says this, this does not mean that, the, that only those who wholly satisfy the law in keeping his commandments have assurance, seeing as no such instance can be found in the world. No one perfectly obeys the law, but rather those who strive according to the capacity of human infirmity to form their life in obedience to God, they are the ones who have assurance. You see the key word there, striving. It's that word, same word, longing. Jesus' sacrifice and grace doesn't just save us from our sins, but rather His sacrifice and grace saves us to strive after obedience. To long for, to pursue obedience. Last week, you see, we looked at the freedom and the joy of confession and forgiveness and cleansing. Well, what do those freedoms and those joys lead us to? Those freedoms and joys enable us to grind and to beg and to run to and to clamor after the truths of God's Word. Christ's sacrificial grace enables us to long for Him and to long for His Word to take over our lives. Literally, to take over our lives. John's saying to his friends, you can be assured of your relationship with God if there's evidence of striving and longing and fighting to form uh, your life in obedience to God. One, one of, the, one of my, the highlights of my life and the highlights of ministry for me was being able to minister to college students. There's something about college students um, that they, they haven't acquired adult sophistication yet. And they're not nearly as prideful as adults are. I'm, I'm talking about myself, not you guys. Uh, they're not nearly as prideful as adults are. And so 
they're willing to like express and share their vulnerabilities and their struggles. They're willing to have someone come alongside of them and wrestle through these sins that they struggle with and they long for obedience. I can't tell you the number of students uh, that I had the privilege to walk alongside of as they struggled with uh, alcohol and eating disorders and loss. Um, and lust and all sorts of identity issues, this real wrestling and this real praying. Um, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Let me see if I can apply this with two, in two ways. First, negatively. If we find ourselves longing for sin, okay, and that's not going to, that's going to be a slightly different longing. Uh, than a longing for Christ. But if we find ourselves longing for sin, walking in sin, and it doesn't bother us, we could care less, then we're in trouble and the truth isn't in us. Now let me say that positively. If there's even the slightest bit of hatred and frustration and unsettledness in our sin and a longing for something more, and striving to live in the ways God created us to live, that is the evidence of relationship with Christ. Those longings coupled with earnest prayer, coupled with eager anticipation, coupled with striving to flee, like literally running away from the sin uh, that so easily entangles us. God won't deny those things. And that longing for obedience is assuring. Uh, but John also says to his friends that longing for Jesus looks like longing for wholeness. Not just specific obedience in certain aspects of our lives, but Wholeness in, in, in the sum total of who we are. Theo, theologians have often uh, written volumes about the makeup of uh, humanity uh, consisting of thoughts and feelings and actions that are all guided uh, by our uh, belief system, by our hearts. Uh, maybe another way to get at this is to say it's impossible to have beliefs that don't affect your life. It's impossible to have beliefs that don't affect your thoughts and your feelings and uh, your actions. All three of those work together and affect one another. Thoughts affect feelings and you, you know how uh, that works. So let, let me see if I can use an example to kind of help you along, uh, help us along the path. I love golf, okay? I, I love golf. I, I think... I am better at golf than I actually am. Okay? I think I'm better at golf than I actually am. Now, what does that affect? Okay? Those thoughts affect, affect my outlook as I go to the course, and they also affect my actions after the round when reality sets in, right? I think I'm better than what I am, and I go to the golf course thinking, okay, this is going to be good, and then when it's not good, those thoughts affect me afterwards as well. My feeling and love toward golf make me think that if I just played more, 
I'd be more happy, right? And those feelings sometimes lead me down a path of being consumed. You see how feelings affect actions and affect uh, thoughts. My actions of a good round make me think I should play more, that I actually could be better, right? But if my actions, my actions after a bad round make me think I want to sell it all, right? Get rid of it all. Somebody else can do it, correct? Some of you play golf, you know, it's like, man. John recognizes how humanity works. If you look at verse 5, actions keeps his word feeling the love of god is perfected thoughts then i know that we are in him this is how john can so confidently say that we can be assured in our relationship uh, with jesus because when we believe in jesus thoughts and feelings and actions towards us then those thoughts and actions change our thoughts and actions and feelings towards Him. You see, there's no belief that doesn't affect our life. You can't have a faith that doesn't change your life. It's impossible. Do you long for every faculty of your being to be changed? Every thought and feeling and emotion and action. You see, each of us struggle so differently, outwardly, inwardly. Some of us, you know, we wear our emotions on our sleeve and our actions dictate all those sort of things and we end up repenting a lot, right? And then some of us, man, we look so pristine on the outside but on the inside it's disgusting and John is asking the question do you long for inside and outside do you long to be changed? Do you long for every faculty of your being to line up with what God's Word created you to be? If you do, John says, well then you can be assured uh, that you are in relationship with Jesus. Maybe the biggest uh, and, and, and most prominent thing that jumps out in this passage is what he says in verse 6. Uh, that longing for Jesus not only looks like longing for obedience and not only looks like uh, being healed in the whole humanity of who we are, but longing for Jesus looks like walking like Him. L literally, walking like Him. And so John moves from this introspective reality into uh, these uh, actions of um, doing and the goal is actually being to walk as Jesus walked that's what he says and I don't know about you but if that doesn't take your breath away then there might be a little bit of a problem because when I look at my life of selfishness and pride and arrogance and pessimism and self-righteousness 
versus beautifully perfected love and giving and serving. Those two things don't line up. And so how in the world are we supposed, this would be an appropriate question, how in the world are we supposed to walk as Jesus walks? How are we supposed to do that? A story is told of a young pastor who had just started at his church, and a part of the church, a part of that church was not all that um, uh, dissimilar to what we have here with FPK, um, was a school. And the school had a security guard. And so the young pastor would come to work every day, and about the same time, the security guard would show up to the school on his bike. Now, what was interesting about this is the, the location, the geographical location of the church was such that it was some serious hills and valleys, like big time, you know, you, it wouldn't be normal for you to ride a bike up and down uh, these hills. And so day after day, the young pastor watched the security guard come to work on his uh, bike. And finally, he just got up the gumption enough to walk up to the, introduce himself. I just got to ask you, how in the world do you come to work every day on a bike? Like these hills are like Tour de France type hills. There's no way you could ride up these hills. And the man, who certainly did not look like a Tour de France uh, athlete, a rider, um, just kind of shrugged his shoulders humbly, and he said, I don't know, just got a good bike, I guess. And the pastor was like, no, 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 wait, that, that, it doesn't make sense. There's no way you could ride up and down these hills and get to work and just not be utterly smashed the rest of the day. And the young, uh, the, the security guard looked at the pastor and said, I, I don't know, I mean, got a good bike, I guess. The pastor's scratching his head by this point, and he said, have you, the, the security guard said, have you ever seen a bike like this? The young pastor looked over, he's like, it looks like a normal bike, I don't know, I mean, you know, I've seen a million bikes before in my life, I don't, and then it caught his eye. Down in the very bottom, like down below the pedals, was a little black box. And connected to that little black box was a thin wire that came all the way up the frame of the bike, all the way up to the handlebars, and connected to a little black button. And at that point, the pastor began to think, wait a second. And the security guard began to smile. And he said, I, I don't know what to tell you. I get to the bottom of the hill... I push the little black button and I just motor on up. And then it hit the pastor like, oh, oh, that's it. The bike, he has help. He's not just doing uh, this alone. That is a beautiful analogy. Uh, it breaks down, I'm sure, at some point. But a beautiful analogy of the Christian life. We often come to these giant hills of sin and struggle, and we try all sorts of methodologies, all sorts of self-helps, all sorts of schemes, and in our own strength, we try to beat it. And yet, all too often as we get a quarter of the way up the hill and we have to stop. We're done. 
We can't do it anymore. It doesn't make sense. We can't do it. And John is saying, for those who abide in Christ through faith, Christ also abides in you through His Holy Spirit. And so just when we get to the breaking point of the hill, there's the little black button. The little black button of prayer. And the little black, the little black button of His Word. And the little black button of the sacraments. And the little black button, sometimes even of really, really good friends who have walked through really similar things and have been encouraged by the same Holy Spirit that you're trying to lean on as well. You see, we have to have help. And so the Holy Spirit's prompting, we move towards the means of grace to find help in our time of need and the next thing you know maybe not instantaneously that's what we look for it does it just doesn't work that way sanctification does not work that way maybe not instantaneously but certainly over time and in the strength of king jesus there's joy and hope and victory when we long for these things listen to jesus words same words by the same Apostle, John, in his Gospel, uh, chapter 15, verse 4. Abide in Me, and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in Me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in Me, and I in him, He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Let's pray. Father, your word is. Your word is so encouraging and powerful. To be able to to be able to look at how John pieces together this beautiful reality through this book to encourage his friends to say, "Look at who Jesus is. Look at what He's done, and this is how it can change you." Father, I doubt seriously that there's a person in this room that doesn't long for this. And yet the reality is we'll walk out of this room and there's going to be another longing that takes its place. Would you help us, uh, Lord, to be filled with the longings of seeing you take over our lives. We wish that could happen so erratically and instantaneously, and if that did, then we would be in eternity with You. And sometimes that's Your will, Lord, but most of the time, often is the case that we get the joy and the privilege of grinding 
and longing and working hard to pursue You not in our own strength, but in the strength of Your Holy Spirit that's taken up His residence inside of us. Would You encourage us with that this morning? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.